chance to ask questions. You can ask about the discussions we can have in there. Any questions? As they say. Inquire within. Ask a monk. <laughs> yes. Um, at the end of Bhagavad Gita, <coughs> Krishna says to just surrender unto him and give up all varieties of religion. So that includes Varnashram Dharma practices. And, and yet the residents of Vrindavan, like in this Dhamma, Gila, at this time they're worshipping Lord Indra. And there's the story of um, Nanda Maharaj who bathed too early in the morning the day after Akadashi and so he got swallowed by a snake. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could... Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna concludes the Gita by saying, Sarvadharmam prajamami kam saranam And the implication of this um, verse and statement is that Sarvadharman is, is refers to the... Um, path of, of uh, karma, the path of, and his karma in this sense means dharma, or uh, a righteous path by which one can progress uh, materially mm-hmm. in light of uh, <coughs> the fact that we ourselves are not independent in in our pursuit of life, which largely involves interacting with our senses, with sense objects, through our senses. So we, we, we taste objects of taste, we, we, we hear objects of sound, we the tactile sense, not touch things. So the Sarvadharman Pratyajamami Kamsarambhat, so it means like this, that um, one should um, the recommendation is that the, the standard course, which is recommended in the Gita, to be a pious person, to show gratitude towards nature, for the bounty of life, and uh, and 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 this is expressed through different rituals, honoring of different powerful manifestations of nature that are uh, personified. So you have the sun. Surya Namaskar, worship of the sun and, and the wind and so on and so forth, it, which is, creates a very sacral universe in which everything is, is just ripe with meaning and value, hmm? um, possibility and so forth. <clears throat> it's very much in contrast to the modern sense of the universe, which is empty and meaningless and uh, lacking any sense of sacredness. So this is a very different approach to nature and, and to living um, within, within the material world. Again, one with, with a spirit of, of gratitude and uh, acknowledging the fact that to um, see, for example, which is we do through our eyes, we require light, and we have not provided the light. So we are, show gratitude towards towards the light, towards the sun, for example. So it's a it's a very um, thankful kind of life in which one does not see oneself as an independent agent of action.
free to do whatever one wants and, and so on and so whether you're part of a whole part of a system the world has a dharma it has a purpose it ha- and so forth mm-hmm. so this is the idea now that idea of course um, is good but it's only really ultimately as good as in the pursuit of things and material betterment hmm, we develop a tendency towards which is a taking acquisition we develop a tendency towards giving or sacrificing so this rituals in the karma marg are all about taking some time out having a ritual using some material and um, amenities that may be at your dis- that are at your disposal and offer them in the fire for example symbolically and so on and so forth um, this is just not some kind of hocus pocus but the idea behind this is that the world proceeds um, in a positive sense through sacrifice as we say in common English parlance that giving is the receiving so it's 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 honing this art or this truth hmm? to give is to receive so what you really get as I've said before out of plugging into this dharmic perspective and following these injunctions and so forth is as much as you develop the tendency to to give so you can only take with you that which you've given in the end <laughs> that what you got you can't take but that what you've given then you can that you can take with you. Hmm. That's a very beautiful idea. Hmm. So, at the same time, this Dharma Marg is ostensibly it's about getting, but it requires you to give in order to get. And so, um, if you want a child to take the medicine, you might say, "Open your mouth. I'll give you some candy," and so forth. So, open some mouth with the medicine and then maybe give some candy to something like that. So mo- most of the sacred texts of the Hindus, they talk about this because that's where most of the people are at. They're identified with the body-mind complex and so it's, it is it is in need, it has needs. And so being identified with it, we have perceived needs and so we've got to take. So how to take by saying please, which is how you teach your children. Hmm. Say please first. Say please. Okay. There. Now say thank you. Say thank. You. So it's like this is a childish form of religion, actually. Hmm. But you have to start somewhere, right? So this is the, what you're talking about is a verse at the end of the Gita, right? And Krishna has talked about that, and he has talked about that in relation to other approaches to life that that um, from from religious start to become spiritually experiential. And what I mean by that is they are paths that um, introduce us experientially to the fact that we have no needs. We, we are a unit of consciousness. We are not the body-mind complex. Hmm? And um, so that's so. Now the giving is is turned on a little bit more. This is basically what what yoga means. It's the art of 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 living. So the different kinds of yoga, 
that to one extent or another afford us, take us from the religious life, if you will, the life of gratitude, where we sacrifice things to get things, to putting ourselves on the altar. Hmm? Is where what it culminates in, and that's the idea of bhakti. Hmm? So in the end, Krishna is saying, "This is what you should do. If you want to know, if you looked, if you heard what I said carefully, I talked about different things, but I was what I was only talking about is what I was really talking about is one thing, directly and indirectly. So I talked about dharma, as I was saying. He talked talked about ashtanga yoga. I talked about karma yoga. I talked about uh, gyan yoga. I talked about bhakti mixed with with yoga. I talk about bhakti mixed with karma, bhakti mixed with gyan. But in, I talked about each of these things in one place, but everywhere throughout, if you followed carefully, I talked about something else. Um, what is it? A ninth chapter at the end. Manmana bhava madbhakto madhyaj. Verses like this, they appear throughout. Neha bhikkhumana shusti patyavaya viditi svalapamapyasidharma sitrayate mato bhaya. This is about bhakti yoga, the fruits of which are imperishable and so forth, because they're not, they're not, they're not touched by as karma yoga is by karma by rajaguna or as jnana yoga is by satpaguna, and so forth. So, throughout the Gita, there's a thread that is about ananya bhakti, exclusive bhakti. Bhakti is the full measure of giving. You have on the two ends of the religious spectrum, if you will, you have this childish idea, right, that I was talking about. Say thank you, okay, say please, like this on the one end, and on the other end, you you have um, a, a situation of bhakti where the devotee is living only for the Godhead and in a divine kind of union with the Godhead in purpose, has no other purpose mm-hmm. hmm, than to satisfy the senses of the Godhead rather than one's own senses. Hmm. So, um, and... You know, on the one end of the spectrum, the low end, the childish end, you've got all these rules. So wherever there's rules, love is lacking. Wherever there's love, rules are lacking. So you're talking about the people, the devotees, who are depicted as being in the leela with Krishna, who are beyond the rules, but they seem to be following the rules, right? And they seem to be following the Dharma path, which is a childish religion, even when Krishna's saying that that should be given up. So this is what your, your your question is about, right? Um, and um, a couple of things uh, in response to that directly. Um, one is that the lila, among other things, kind of a byproduct of the lila of Krishna, the divine play of Krishna, is that it teaches us something. It teaches us lessons and so forth. So, for example, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita is giving instruction for, to fortify one's booty, one's intelligence, to make one's intelligence spiritual, hmm? spiritualize it, so that your discriminating faculty will be spiritualized. We don't want the booty, our intelligence, to be to run off with the mind and the senses, an unholy 
union, because that's a very, very um, dangerous type of a situation. Because what, in one sense, what distinguishes us from the less complex forms of life is the measure of our intelligence, right? But if our intelligence runs off with the mind and the senses, then it simply works and schemes how to fulfill the desires that arise in the mind and are executed by the senses, which is what animals are doing without the use of intelligence. So if we use, use intelligence to be a bigger animal, a bigger sense enjoyer, that is not the good use of intelligence. And it makes us a very dangerous animal. Hmm? Because you're, you're, diff- you're you have no difference in a sense. You, you're living for animal purposes. Human life is supposed to move us from animality through humanity to move us from animality to spirituality, from the call of the wild so to speak, hmm. Hmm. to a dharmic life, a moral life, hmm. in pursuit of the good, the capital G good, only to find out that it's not found in the moral realm, the capital G good. You, can, you, can, you can't be perfect in this world. It's pressed down here, it comes up there. Hmm. You can not vote for Trump. You got to vote for Hillary. She's got prob- <laughs> Hillary's to problems too. You know, so <laughs> it's up and down like this. So, um, so therefore, we have to tra- go beyond the moral realm. That means to the Atma, to the to the spiritual, experiential realm, where the capital G can be found. Hmm? Turns the moral world on its head, ultimately in Krishna Lila, right? So. So this uh, this lila, this divine play of Krishna, one of the things it's doing, it's a kind of a byproduct, is, is teaching us. So what Krishna says in the Gita, he's trying to fortify our intelligence with with spiritual insight, so that the intelligence won't make an unholy union with the mind and the senses, and it will be used to to control the mind and the senses. And do any of you? You can ask yourself now. You can answer. Do any of you have the experience of knowing with your intelligence that something is not good for you, but doing it anyway? Yeah. Every, now, every now and then. Every now and then. So this is the, this is the pitiful, pitiful, pitiful condition that we find ourselves in while priding ourselves as being the, you know, the intelligent, uh, most intelligent species. Hmm? So intelligence is, is meant for, for changing that. Hmm? Hmm? I remember once I was in, it comes to my mind when I make this point, I was in Los Angeles airport many years ago selling Prabhupada's books and I was talking to one guy at the, at, at the, just at the side of the escalator before you go down and I said, look, you're an intelligent guy and this lady walked by me and he was, the guy was smoking and I was talking, she, she said, he, she's, he's not intelligent, he's smoking cigarettes. And this is a simple point but it was like, yeah. <laughs> It's not very bright, and so it's an example of what we're, we, we're talking about. So, so the Gita seeks to fortify the intelligence spiritually that we may use it as a tool to uh, bring the mind and the senses under control, so to speak, rather than be controlled by them, which is a, which is a very lamentable situation and an uncomfortable situation because the senses can pull us in different directions at the same time. Hmm? Our ears may want to take us there, 
Our tongue may want to take us there, our stomach may say no, our tongue may say more, and it's a recipe for indigestion. And, uh, and so controlling these things, these senses, and the mind is very central to yoga. It's not that we get a f- accurate reading of the world through the medium of the senses, or that we know because of the mind. Actually, the mind gets in the way of knowing, the senses get in the way of experiencing the raw uh, nature of being. For you, for example, your senses give you one reading, it's hot. Mine give another reading, it's cold. So, which is it? You think it's good, I think it's bad. So these these, is, these are differences, dualities that are that constitute readings of the world through the imperfect senses and the mind. Hmm? So if we want a more accurate reading, an objective reading, right? <laughs> The empiricism is about having, a, you know, an objective reading, hmm? but the senses are faulty, as we as we see. So, here's a technology yoga for rising above the judgment hmm, of the of the mind and the senses, and controlling it. And it's a step back, so to speak, from the call of the wild that requires quite a bit of objectivity yoga real spiritual practice you're you know you're experimenting on yourself so to speak and the experiment is to validate the idea that there's something called consciousness that transcends the mind the intelligence the senses the sense objects and you are that hmm? and and you uh therefore uh, you find that you can live more with less and so yoga seeks to show that I can live more, more fully, with less. And people look at you and go say, say something like, "You don't do this, you don't do that. Hmm? How can you live?" Right? And then you get to the yogi in the cave, and he's just a breatharian. How can you live? And so the the, the point is, there's something, and that is more than what meets the eye and the mind, and it's me. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm in the body. The body has to die, but to a large extent, I can demonstrate through yoga for someone who wants to look objectively mm-hmm. that um, that uh, there, there's more to life than the physical. There's more to life than the mental. Mm-hmm. Even even yogis can, in, in concentration, control. Yoga is very much about that. The, the organs, the beat of the heart, and so on and so forth. So. So, um, so anyway, the Gita is meant to fortify our intelligence in, in Bhakti Yoga. And the sequel, the theological sequel to the Bhagavad Gita is the Bhagavatam. So Bhag, the Gita is the, like the civilization of spiritual intelligence. Hmm? And the, the Bhagavatam is the civilization of, how would you say, um, spiritual life. Hmm? So with the fortified intellect, now you you step into the into the world from that different vantage point and live in it, but not be of it, mm-hmm. and overwhelmed by it, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. By seeing everything in relation to Krishna, seeing everything and excavating its connection with its source. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that when we don't do that, when we think inadvertently ourselves to be the center, we're looking at things 
as if they're our to take for our purpose, but actually they have, they have, have their own purpose in relation to the center. And they don't really feel very comfortable in the world of our mind, where we ourselves don't feel comfortable, but we expect everybody else should be comfortable in there. Mm, this is a very unreasonable proposal. So yoga is about coming out of the mind and the small world into a much bigger world. We're a little afraid to do that because in the world of the mind we're allowed to think that we're big, although we're being shown all the time that we're not. And yoga is telling us that we're not. But the beautiful thing is when you come out of the small world of the mind, you see just how small you are, but you meet the one who's big, but he's very friendly. You start to see the world, you start to realize that you're living in the dream of God. You're part of God's dream. That's a very different way of thinking about yourself than we do every day when we get up and decide what we are going to do and how we are going to individually you know, do what we want to do and, and so forth. And be successful and whatever may be the case and so forth. We, we're living as as parts of the you know members of the of the dream of Vishnu. Hmm? So it's a very different perspective. But it's, he's he's got a good you know his vision is good. His perspective is real. Hmm? Everything does come from him, and everything does belong to him. And conversely. Nothing belongs to us. Hmm? We can't keep anything. So nothing belongs, but we act as if it does, and or it should, and so forth. But it doesn't. And the easy way to overcome this false sense of proprietorship, which is the only thing we really have to give up, hmm, is to acknowledge who the proprietor is. Any, any decent person, if they find out that Let's say you're standing in line at the grocery store and somebody in front of you, while paying their bill, drops a $20 bill on the floor. Now you have a choice. You could step on it until they go away and then bend down to tie your shoe and pick it up and put it in your wallet. Or, because you know to whom it belongs and you're a decent person, knowing who the proprietor is, diminishes the tendency within us to try to own it for ourselves. So the more we bring the picture of the proprietor or the proprietor into the picture of our life, the easier it is and more natural it is to overcome the, the tendency of false ownership, false proprietorship, and so forth. So it's a very beautiful way. Krishna is, uh, he, he is of course, it's a theological argument and so forth, and a good one that uh, he makes, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, Aham Sarvasya Prabhu, these kind of verses, Bhuktaram Jagatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwaram, and Suhridam Sarvabhutanam. Everything's owned by me, everything's controlled by me, everything belongs to me. It's like, what's left for us? He says, but knowing that, and acting accordingly, Suhridam Sarvabhutanam. I become your friend. I'm your friend. Surid. Hmm? So to, to, to sort of know on the friendly terms the person who owns and controls everything is to be in a pretty good position, however small you are. Hmm? Right? So this is the idea of, of bhakti. So, so, so to go from the, uh, like a, the, the fortified intelligence of, Gita, of the Gita into the, into the life of the Absolute. So the, the Bhagavatam then 
it picks up right where the Gita leaves off, just where the verse you said, Sarva Dharma Pratyajamame Kamsaranam Braja. And the Bhagavatam begins, Dharma Projita Kaitavutra. Paramonir Matsaranam Satam. Dharma Projita. Sarva Dharma Pratyajat. Saying the exact same thing. Hmm? Give up the Dharma, which is called in the Bhagavatam Kaitava. Cheating. It's the cheating. You cheat yourself. That, that childish religion. Give me that. I'll give you this. You give me that. Okay. Bargaining like this. With the, this is the Bhagavatam is a little little uses a little harsher language. This is kaitava, hmm? and so this taking idea it, it has two sides to it. Taking, trying to take from the world for oneself because of identi- being identified with the world, and and the body mind complex, and I say and having needs perceived needs thereby, or trying to get away from the world. And do nothing. Have no work. The world is the center in each case. To renounce the world, to exploit the world. And bhakti is is neither one. It's the middle path. It's it's not about exploiting the world. It's not about getting away from the world. It's about understanding the world in relation to its source and acting accordingly. It's not a big mystery to it. It's like... If you if if you're a servant, all your problems are solved. If you've got a good master, all your problems are solved. Hmm? We are trying to avoid distress and acquire happiness. In service, that's not an issue. In service, my 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 service is to bring you happiness, and that's my happiness. So if I have to undergo distress to bring you happiness, it has no bearing on me. If it makes you happy, fine. If I become happy, in the you know relatively speaking, in the context of pleasing you, no problem. Hmm? So you see, service, which is what love is based on. If you love someone, you want to serve them. It resolves this problem. This is the whole problem. We try to acquire happiness and avoid distress. This is what we're moving. Hmm. Between these two, just bouncing back and forth, bouncing back and forth, tossing on an ocean of ups, material ups and downs, emotionally in terms of acquisition and loss, which brings different emotional reactions and so forth and so on. Hmm? So like I give an example before, Juan, who, who was born on our land in Costa Rica, in Madavon, he works there now, he came to work one day and... It, Previous day, he was digging. We were digging like trenches to put water pipes in. It was a hard work. Hmm? So he came the next day. I said, "You know, I thought I was thinking yesterday it was pretty hard. I would give you something easier to do today." He says, "It doesn't matter." And I said, "Really?" He said, "He said my only my job is just to please you. That's my job. Wow. It doesn't matter if it's hard to do or it's easy to do. If you, whatever pleases you, that's my job." Hmm? So he resolved the whole problem of material existence in a sense. So this is what bhakti is like. It solves the problem. Hmm? Hmm? And work, the labor, is just the labor of, of love. If it pleases you, and that's what I really am fixated on, then I see I have no problems. Problems are just new opportunities to serve. Okay, another opportunity to serve. There's nothing to gain here, you see. Hmm? It's only only the pleasure of the uh, 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 of Krishna. Hmm? That's all.
So the Bhagavatam, is, as I say, the theological sequel, it picks up where the Gita lives off, and it speaks about the Leela. So the world that you can enter into hmm, of Krishna's play, if you apply yourself with spiritual intellect and, 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 and use your head to soften your heart and, and let it, uh, the purified heart come out and so on and so forth. So uh, in that Leela, then, one of the side effects, if you will, of the Leela is that it teaches lessons to us. So let's say, let's take the verse in the Gita. The Gita is not, is instructions, so there's there's not a narrative there. There's a larger narrative, Krishna speaking to Arjuna on the battlefield. But the Gita is just about those instructions. In the Bhagavatam, we can find the instructions of the Gita, for example, played out in narrative form. So like, I think Monday we're celebrating the Govardhan Puja. So this is the narrative, the Leela narrative, that corresponds with the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita. Sarvadharman puritajamamim kam sharanam rajan. What were they doing, the inhabitants of Vrindavan? They were preparing for the worship of Indra, hmm? the rain god, you know, the, the heaven you know, in charge of the rain, because they were cowherd people and they felt they needed rain in order to get grass for the cows and this would be their livelihood and so forth. And Krishna interrupted it, right? As a seven year old boy. And it's a long story, we'll go into it on Monday, but. Um, the gist of it is, he said, I don't think we need to worship Indra. Hmm? And ultimately what he did was show everyone should take shelter of me alone. And, and, and I can maintain everybody. And I can protect everybody. Hmm? So he lifted the Govardhan Hill. Everyone was protected. Indra, everyone was maintained. Indra attacked and he, he, he couldn't even, n- 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 uh, not a leaf fell from a tree, despite his uh, sending torrential uh, rains and hurricane and so on and so forth. So um, it's a long story and beautiful and full of many, many meanings. But this is a central uh, teaching of it, that the the central uh, characteristic, of, the, the principal characteristic of Sharanagati, which the Gita is going with, Sharanam, take shelter of me alone, is is that the idea that Krishna is my maintainer, a sense of dependence. This is a central mood that is central to the culture of Sharanagati, hmm? which is important in a stage of sadhana, bhakti in practice. When we enter into bhakti in ecstasy, it is more characterized by longing than by, by surrender. Hmm? So, But they are surrendered, and there be a little longing also in sadhana bhakti, sure, but appropriate. Hmm? Um, relative to the surrender. First deserve, first bhakti siddhanta so then, then desire, something like that. So, uh, so the Gita, it, so in Bhagavatam, in the Govardhan Lila, again, all the inhabitants, they depend on Krishna, they just take his word for it. They're just enamored by the fact that the seven-year-old boy is speaking philosophy. They don't know much philosophy themselves, and and they just they're just charmed by him, so they throw out all the sacrifices and whatever, and they just follow him, and and then the consequences come, and they're protected and so forth, right? So we're learning through the narrative there hmm, that um, uh, Ananya Bhakti take shelter of Krishna alone, not any other god. And in the, in the Varnashram, there are many gods. I said, you worship the sun, the wind, 
the moon for different things at different times, much as they correspond in the macrocosm with the microcosm of our own psyche and physical reality. So we learn they have the power to do what they do because it's coming from Krishna, and so we go over their head. We love Krishna, um, which doesn't require anything. You just have to give your heart, that's all, um, completely, and um, and so forth. And so they, so the Govardhan Leela then is an example of this. Now, um, that's benefiting us, right? Because it's the teaching is played out in the Leela. But at the same time, the Leela is a drama. So in the drama, there is a central story and then there are supporting like uh, scenery and props and setting and so on and so forth. So your question is, well, how are they? How could they enter the Leela and be in the Leela when they're not following the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita? Because they were worshiping Indra, and and, and they're also, but then Krishna teaches them not to. But then later on, they're worshiping Varuna, and 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 gopis are worshiping Katyayani, and so on and so forth. Right? This is the uh, the uh, the dilemma. Different ways to answer it, of course. Um, one way is that as much as Krishna Bhakti is the full measure of spirituality, then all that is attained within other approaches to spirituality is contained within it and more. Hmm? So on the low end we had this Varnashram. There's something to be attained from that. right? Hmm? So the way the Leela is speaking to us about it is that, you see, everything that's in the Varnashram is also in the Leela. Hmm? It's here superficially as, as, as a structure for the Leela. It's not, they're not, it's not controlling the Leela. It has no bearing. Hmm? It's being fueled by bhava, by ecstasy. The whole thing is moving by ecstasy under the influence of the Sarup Shakti, but it has a setting. And they're very good Varnashramis. Hmm? Uh, you know, they, they're very good. They worship very nicely. Um, they, they, they're Vaidhi Bhaktas. They, they, they worship Nishingadeva at Nandamarsha's house very nicely. Of course, their minds are somewhere else when they're doing the Arctic on Krishna. <laughs> so the, these things are there. So, you know, the, the implication is everything that you could, you could get by following the Varnashram is there in the Leela. Everything that you could get by following the, by Gyanmarg is there. Hmm? Everything that you could get by following Vaidhi Bhakti is there. Hmm? Therefore, you should follow Raghunuga Bhakti. Hmm? Now, that's one way of looking at it, right? Hmm? And so, that's those things are superficially there, but but what's really driving everyone hmm? is the is the bhava and ecstasy and their praying their love for Krishna. That's what's what's moving everything. Hmm? Another another sense is that in 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 order for the lila to be human-like, right? It's a drama, to be human-like, and for the finite to get close to the infinite, the infinite has to take on a finite-like appearance, and so on and so forth. So all this backdrops and and whatnot has to be there. Props have to be there, and so forth. And so in order for that to be the case, then there needs to be some devotees who play the part of Indra. 
some devotees who play the part of Chandra, some devotees who play the part of this goddess and so forth. And in the Leela, they're all, they're all devotees. Hmm? Do you understand? And they're participating in the Leela. This is especially the case in the Aprakat Leela, the unmanifest Leela. Because hmm? where are the demigods in the Aprakat Leela? Right? So there has to be an appearance of them in order for them to be the, the human-like Leela. Hmm? Even the Deva Leela hmm? has to be there. So they have to be devotees. Hmm? Or particular, you know, manifestations of ecstasy. You know, here it's possible that the clouds actually rain. There they cry. Hmm? They're crying. They're they're in Sakirasa because they have similarity to Krishna. They have the same color, the rain clouds. And, and Sakirasa is about equality. <laughs> That's a long story, but all the clouds are in Sakirasa, so they they weep at, at, at appropriate times. And, as it, as it turns out, for this in, in service to the Leela. So, it's not what it, what it, what it appears to be. It's super, super, it's super religious. Krishna mentions this in the Gita when he says, Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam, Pabitram Idam Uttamam, Pratyakshavagamam Dharmam, Susukam Kartamavayam. It's the ninth chapter, first, second verse or so. He says, that I'm going to teach you about the king of religion and its dharmyam, among other things. Excuse me. I'm going to teach you about the king of knowledge. Raja means king, vidya means knowledge. And among other things, it's pure and so forth. Pabitram idam utamam patakshavagamam dharmyam. It's religious. Typically, jnana or vidya, knowledge and religion, they don't go together. Hmm? You understand? Because if you have jnana, knowledge of the self, which is real knowledge, and that you are an Atman, you're not the body, then you're not going to be engaged in religious rituals just for the acquisition of, of things that pertain to the body-mind complex because you're cultivating the idea that you're not that body. Hmm? So the pursuit of things that don't endure for someone who wants enduring life doesn't make any sense. So knowledge or sense doesn't go with the ignorance of a life based on material attachment, however religiously it's pursued, right? Therefore, the culmination of the Dharma Marg is to give it up and, and take sannyas and, and, and from Dharma, Artha, and Kama, go to moksha. So the more you weigh in on the knowledge, the less you're going to interact with sense objects. So you move from an interactive life with sense objects to a contemplative life. That's the movement from karma or dharma marg to jnana. Hmm? They cancel one another out. So the idea of knowledge that's religious, it's kind of an oxymoron, as, as you see from what I'm talking about. But the idea with Krishna is saying in that, that verse of the Gita, the ninth chapter, if we follow it out to the end, what is the king of knowledge? He's saying, All these beautiful verses at the end of the chapter about Analoid Bhakti, and it's the tenth chapter. But um, all these verses about Shuddha Bhakti, about Ananya Bhakti, 
right in the center of the Gita, one after another, and the, the feelings that Krishna has as the chapter goes on for his devotees. He's like, the, don't say anything bad about my devotee. Hmm? Say something, praise his bad activities, and you'll become good. He's very emotional. He's talking about his devotees, hmm? talking about bhakti, suda bhakti, ananya bhakti, and manmana bhava mad bhakti, just be my devotee. This is the end of knowledge. Hmm? So the point is this, the king of knowledge is religious. In other words, love has both knowledge and action, whereas otherwise knowledge cancels out action and action cancels out knowledge. Hmm? If the if the action is the karma, acquisition of things, it cancels out knowledge because it's ignorance to think material attachment is the source of misery and to think that it's the source of my pleasure, that's ignorance. Krishna says, attachment to material things is the womb from which suffering is born. Hmm? So that's a wise statement. The very you know this is the Buddha idea, similar, right? Hmm? So, so again, these two cancel one another out. Hmm? But in love, you have both movement, and you have both some kind of kind of knowing. In love, you know what you need to know. There's no extra baggage of of, of knowing. You know what. When in love, you know what to do. Hmm? It's the end of knowing. You know what's not worth knowing. Hmm? So there's. He's saying that that I'm going to teach you about the king of knowledge, and it, it, it's religious. It's like the two things together. And, and in a sense, this out plays out in the Lila. So the Varnashram is there, right? And, 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 and wisdom is there. Bhakti is there. Within Bhakti, all things are harmonized, something like that. Hmm. So um, much to be learned from, uh, from the Lila's of, of Krishna. And, and important to learn because it's easy, easy to be misunderstood. Because it's human-like. You got to keep the word "like" and underscore that it's like, but it's that means it's different also, in a significant way. The, the difference here is, is if you have a building, the building's good, but the foundation is rotten. So you don't have to take down the building. You just need to, just need to jack it up, <laughs> and then take out the old foundation and put in a new foundation. Hmm? But that's as difficult as that may seem. It's easier than starting from scratch and destroying the whole thing and, and so forth. So bhakti means you just change the foundation. Hmm? Uh, step back from the world enough to see to whom it belongs and step into it hmm? and act accordingly. So this is the art of yoga, to live in the world and uh, not be of the world and not be concerned with with, with the ideal of gyan, liberation. Hmm? Or the idea of the karma mark acquisition. Hmm? Neither neither one are are our are our are our focus, and therefore we may acquire in the context of serving Krishna, no problem. Or we may have to give up things in the context of serving Krishna, no problem. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah. yeah. So just thinking about bhakti that's unmotivated. 
uninterrupted, and it seems like that's pretty much somebody who's in Ruchi Bhakti hasn't can obtain that kind of, that kind of bhakti proper. And prior to that, when devotees have material desires, and they're motivated by the material desires, just like I was been reading about Dharma Maharaj, he was so intense about his material desire that he performs his, he performed bhakti or the practices that were given to him by Narada Muni very intensely for a material reason, but he ended up getting both all his material desires fulfilled, plus he obtained fame. So it seems that newer devotees sometimes really struggle with this, you know, this karma again polarization. It's almost like they have to kind of almost go one way or the other because that, they don't have that sense of the balance and the yeah, what they don't have is a is a very clear understanding of bhakti. That's the problem because um, uh, one can be an ananya bhakta, an uttam bhakta, a suda bhakta in practice. Hmm? It means they have material desires; they're not perfect, but this is their goal. It wasn't Dhruva Maharaj's goal. Dhruva Maharaj was not. Who was speaking of in the bhakti was not. He was a his bhakti was mixed. Hmm? He didn't wasn't living with the conception of uttam bhakti, if as a goal. So if you have if you understand it properly, as a goal, then you're not going to get neurotic, either, from the fact that you have certain you're not there yet, something like that. Because you know, well, it could take a long time if you understand it properly. It could take a long time, but it's worth pursuing, and it's very forgiving. So. As far as the path goes, you practically can't can't do anything do any, do anything wrong. There's a whole the whole stage of anishta bhajana kriya means there's a learning curve. Hmm? There's a learning curve. The only thing that you can really do wrong is offend bhakti in the various ways by offending offending the nam, offending the deity, offending the Vaishnava, of the guru, and so on and so forth. Those are like sins of the of the soul. And they can only be eradicated in higher stages of, of, of bhakti because they're like some of them will carry their reactions into bhava bhakti. They can only be eradicated in bhava bhakti because they're sins of the soul, not of the flesh, which are just material desires that everybody has. Hmm? So, what is the what 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 makes one eligible to tread the path of bhakti? What gives one eligib- eligibility? What comes from sadhusanga? Shraddha, Shraddha, faith in the efficacy of bhakti, as it's explained in the scriptures. So if you understand it, you think, hey, I'm jumping on board here. This is If you properly understand it, you may, you may jump on for different reasons and not fully understand it, but if you really understand it, you think you'd be crazy to take up another path. That's the understanding of Uddhava, and he was the counselor of Krishna. He said, who in their right mind would take shelter of anybody but Krishna? Look at how he dealt with Putana. What to speak if, you know, if you don't just dress up like a devotee, but are one or try to be one. Hmm? Who, who, where can you find someone more, more merciful? Krishna in Braj, he has nothing 
to do but play and and if if you just dress up like a devotee he loves you this is krishna hmm? look around and see the different ideas of god that are out there this is objective the idea of krishna that's posited in the bhagavatam hmm? you'd be crazy to take shelter of anybody else hmm? seriously i mean so kind generous the path you can't fall on the path hmm? All you need is faith in the argument, properly understood, and you pursue it. And if you have material desires, what does Krishna say in the Bhagavatam in the 11th canto? He says, some of my devotees, they have material desires. And they succumb to them, and they feel a little bad, and that's all. They carry on. Hmm? They have a little healthy remorse. Oh, I just I had, I had a commitment like this to do, but I couldn't live up to it because my, I'm in the stage of anishta, bhajana kriya. He says that little bit of remorse it just covers your bases, and on you go. Something like that. You fall. You know, you, if, you, if you follow the ground, you can only use the ground to get up. There's nothing below the ground. Hmm? So we've taken shelter of Krishna. There's no. There's nobody. You know, above Krishna. We just have to turn back to Krishna. And <laughs> Narada Muni says that you know, go down the path. What if you? What if you fall along the way? He says, hey, go for it, because you're just further along. You're going to pick up where you left off. Right? Mm-hmm. Charanam Bhujam hmm? Narada speaking to to uh, to to, uh, to to Vyas, hmm? the Narada Bhagavatam. Chaktvas. So what if what if you you know try but you're not successful? There's no question of not being successful. Krishna says the same thing in the Gita. There's no question of not being successful. Arjuna says, well, what if I forego the path of Dharma? Then I'm culpable there, and I take to the path of sp- spiritual life you recommended, but I'm not successful there. Because <laughs> there's no question about being successful, my son. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Very, very affectionately, he, he says. Mm-hmm. Tata means like, oh dear one, don't think like that. That's how he's speaking to Arjun. Don't think like that. It's not like that. Hmm? If you do this yoga, and ultimately speaking about bhakti, this is near the end of the chapter, if you do this yoga and you're unsuccessful in terms of becoming perfect in this life, then you'll get the results that you would get from perfectly doing the dharma marg and more. And then after a long time of living happily in heaven with no karmic repercussions, You'll come back to the world. You'll be born in a, in a pious family that, that has the economic resources and stuff. That you're in a position that you don't have to struggle, and you and, and you'll be able to pick up where you left off and pursue the spiritual life. Or, if you're more advanced and you still didn't reach perfection, you'll skip going to heaven and you'll just take birth in the in the fam of family of transcendentalists and from your very beginning. Prophet said. No, this is my this is my life, Prabhupada said. I was born in the family of transcendentalists. Hmm? So if you understand it properly, you see it's it's just very, 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 very generous. Krishna says again in Levitka, some of my devotees they succumb to the material desires, you know, and that's a given. A hmm? Even if they're Sudarachar, very misbehaved, but they have the right idea in mind. They're cultivating that. Then they should be, 
they should be honored. This is how Krishna feels about his devotees. Hmm? And we should feel that way about other devotees. We should be a little, you know, maybe less generous with ourselves in one sense, but not neurotic and and so forth. So I think, you know, part of what you're talking about and I understand it is it's, just, it's not a very clear understanding of um, of bhakti and the power and the efficacy of bhakti, the results of which will not necessarily all come in this life. But what you do do in your next birth, you, you have a, such a favorable wind behind you. Hmm? And you have to live in that picture, like, you know, this, this is one life and in, in many and so forth. I'm investing in this now. And um, I'm fortunate to get started, and you know it may, it may take some time, but but uh, it's it's fun along the way, you know, if you if you if you understand it properly. So you want to hear well enough so that you actually have faith in in the in in what bhakti is, and you understand it. Hmm? Then you're not going to be so um, neurotic and so forth. And what happens is this. Material life is running on two tracks, karma and gyan, boga and tyag. That's how the material world runs. So it's two sides of the same coin. I try to enjoy things, exploit things, acquire things, and then I try to get rid of them, give it up, get away from them, because they're not satisfying me. Then I go back to them. I chew in the gum and I put it underneath the table when I was a kid. Then yeah, try it again. Uh-huh. Is there anything else to do? Puna punas chavita. Charvananam, Prahlad said, material life, just chewing the chewed over and over again. You want to buy that house, and somebody else just want to get rid of it, sell it, as soon as possible. That's what we're doing, just living on other people's remnants. That's what we're doing. We're just dumpster divers, material life. That's that's what it is. Hmm? So, (laughs) so, uh, that was the point I was making. So, so, um, yeah. if you understand it properly, people come from material life. Yeah, so, so people come from um, this boga and tyag, right? Karma and gyan. Hmm? Now, there are sophisticated paths for honing the gyan, for honing the karma, but that aside, in general, people are moving in these two directions to exploit the world, karma, to take it. Gyan, to get rid of it, move away from it, hmm? not be plugged into it with all its implications. So we're, these are the two tracks we're moving on. Now bhakti comes into our life through through sadhu sangha, association of saintly persons, ingress of bhakti, but we're coming in from gyan and from karma. So we tend to gravitate towards a karmic understanding of bhakti or a gyan understanding of bhakti. Hmm? And that that's where the problem lies. Hmm? And so then you find devotees speaking about bhakti in a way that if if that if a, if a real devotee heard it, it sounds, it sounds like you're talking about jnana, about purity. And, uh, and in jnana mark, you have to be pure to tread the path. So people say, he's not pure, how can you give him initiation? Uh, there's some other method to be, that will purify you more than bhakti. Bhakti has the power to go. Bhaktim param pati labdi kamam hidroga mashpapinoti acharena dihira. Sukadev told Pariksit at the end of the Rasa Leela. <laughs> Listen, these Leelas, he said, bhakti, you hear about them, bhakti goes into your impure heart and hidrogam, 
the, the disease of lust, it takes it out. It's not that we're going to do something else to get pure. Now you're pure, now you can have bhakti. I mean, bhakti is going to the most impure person and purifying them. What did Narada say when he met the hunter whose, whose joy in life was to half-kill animals and watch them flap around? Narada said, that's horrible. He said, well, I'm a hunter. That's like what I do. And he said, well, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to chant this name, Ram, Nam, Krishna Nam, and, have, and kill them all the way. If you could just kill them all the way and chant the name. That's the regulative principle. Kill them all the way and chant this name. Hmm? Right? Nard came back after some time, and there was the hunter. He went to pay his respects to Nard, but he stopped because there were ants in the way, tried to get him out of the way. So his heart had been purified by the name. Hmm? The guru has a right to make any determination that I won't initiate you unless you follow like this, and so on and so forth. That's another thing. But, but eligibility for bhakti only requires faith. Hmm? And, and, and uh, so very, very generous. You have to have faith to do anything, but in order to do yoga, you have to have faith and you have to be celibate, according to the Gita, according to the Yoga Sutras. Bhakti is a little re- more easier. Just to give you an example. Hmm? People are, get, get into bhakti and they get this karmic, have a karmic perspective on it. You know? If you don't do bhakti, you're going to write, you're going to go to hell. And there's the hellish planets. And they talk. You don't understand the whole, the whole, after the fifth cano, Prikshit Mars says, oh, he has this compassionate Vaishnava heart. He says, how can people be free from this? I don't want anybody to go to hell. What does Sukadeva say? Kechit, Kevalaya Bhaktya, Vasudeva Parayana, Aghamdu Dvanti Karsneya, Nirahayivaskara. By bhakti, you, by bhakti, it's like if you want to dissipate the fog, let the sun come up. Hmm? There's nothing you can do. If the sun comes up, it'll disappear on its own. Such is the power of bhakti. Yoga, gyan, karma, they're effort, self-effort oriented. Our effort is to get grace. That's a very different idea. We make an effort to get grace. I'm over here. You know, <laughs> something like that. See me? I'm dressed like I got this marking on my head. I, I'm here. Um, so, this is the idea of, of bhakti. Sharanag, just surrender, put your arms up. So, call out. Hmm. So, but the karmic perspective. You know, and then he goes on, Sukadeva says, and then the story of Ajamil, right? And he chanted the name imperfectly. And, and, it, and hell people couldn't get him. The Yamadutas couldn't take them. Mm. Hmm? There's a whole discussion between them and the Vishnu Dutas. What is real Dharma? What is Bhakti? So it has nothing to do with it. There's no hell for devotees. There's no. You can't fall on the path, mm. hmm? really. If you make Aparada Bhakti, you know, that's another thing. We're, we're cautioned about that. So it's very, very uh, um, generous. It has to be understood properly. But when we don't understand, we don't have good guidance and so forth, then. We, we, and we find the renunciate types, you know, that, that, as I said, well, that's uh, the, the, the gyan take on bhakti. You've got to be pure. Don't give it to him. He's impure. That guy's impure. He shouldn't be allowed to come to the temple. What? The temple is the place for impure people to come. <laughs> that's where they're supposed to be. No, he's not pure enough to come to the temple. Well, that's not the, what the teaching is. Hmm? How's he supposed to get pure? What is he supposed to do? <laughs> 
Go do something else to get pure so that you can come to the temple? Hmm? Devotees have to be generous with one another. They have to be forgiving and they have to understand. We are waiting in line for mercy. If we then say, hey, I was here first, <laughs> go to the back of the line. You can't invoke just justice when you're waiting in line for mercy. Hmm? Right? Hmm? Mercy is overriding. If you want justice, you're finished. You should know that. So then to, you know, insist on that in relation to others. This is so it's a, it calls for a very generous um, community, hmm? and honest people. So you have to be honest about your shortcomings and so forth, and confident in that you've you've chosen the right path to to deal with it, even though it may take some time. And and then you feel good about that. You feel happy about that, and. But if you, you know, if you have people misunderstanding bhakti, then you can be made to feel uncomfortable because you're impure or you're this or that. Now, that doesn't mean you, that every devotee wants to associate with every devotee. Hmm? You may have to set up your boundaries and say, I respect you over there. <laughs> you can respect me over here. So, you know, you can respect everybody if you have enough distance from everybody. So that's an art. Hmm? And so some association will be conducive and some may not, and that all has to be sorted out as well. But... But bhakti is very, very uh, generous, hmm? and um, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a grace. So it, it's descending. So properly understood, I think that these kind of uh, um, neuroses and and so forth that arise, uh, that, that that people then feel they're not qualified, they shouldn't be participating. Other people make them feel that they. Sh- they shouldn't be chanting or something. I mean, that's what they're, <laughs> that's what they're supposed to do. So, so we need this kind of a community. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, just a footnote to your earlier comment regarding Varnashram and Braj. Uh, uh, it reminded me when you said, this isn't hocus pocus. But Mother Yasoda was so concerned <laughs> for one of the encounters with the demon that she uh, had this take a wicker basket and put it over the child right. because she wanted to cover all of her bases. So she not only had the Brahmin's chant, she also took the wicker basket, which was more of a cultural folklore of... Superstition. Yes. Once uh, Giraj Marsh asked my help on, on something, some things that um, Prabhupada said, did so with a I said to him, let me give you an example. I forget exactly what he asked me, but I said, Prabhupada said that if if you cut your fingernails and you don't clean up afterward, that ghosts will come or something, or thieves will come. Thieves, thieves will come. Hmm? I said, it's obviously like a superstition, right? And he said, yeah, that's the problem. He said those kind of things. I said, the idea is this. It's a superstition here, but it happens in the Leela. Thieves actually come. In the Leela. <laughs> so in the Leela, well, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it, its nature has to be such that they have to be a little bit superstitious, uneducated, and so forth, and those things are happening there, something like that. So you have to look at it like that. <laughs> so it's uh, Gyan, Gyan Shunyamukti. Yeah. Um, I would like to uh, 
introduce you to my friend Avinash Maharaj. Avinash. Swami came to see you. He's staying with me this week from Florida. Nice to meet you. He just started taking up chanting. Okay. Are you from India? My parents are. What part? My mom's from Bangalore. My dad's from Madras. Okay. South India. Are you born here? Okay. Well, I've been to uh, Madras. It's the first place I ever went to in India. Very hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it called now? Chennai. Chennai. It's the first place I stepped foot in, in Bharat, from Australia to Madras, and from Madras to Bengal. Yeah. Well, very nice to meet you. It's, we're honored to have you here, and we hope we can be of some help to you. Yes. I've always heard it said and read it and understand that bhakti is the highest form of yoga. But I've also heard preachers say, and I'm not sure if I've read it, that all of the other yogas are contained in bhakti. And I've never seen any experience of that, seen any proof of that. What it means is that the results that you could derive from other yogas are contained within bhakti and more. So, for example, if um, if the goal of uh, Astanga Yoga is to realize the Paramatma, Ishwar, Pranidhan, as mentioned in the Yoga Sutras, hmm? well, if you realize Bhagwan, you realize Paramatma also. The goal of Jnana Yoga, if the goal of Jnana Yoga is to is to realize Brahman, hmm? then Brahman is realized in the context of realizing Bhagwan. Hmm? So it's not that the other practices of yoga are present in bhakti. Hmm? So we can do bhakti, doesn't mean we're going to do asanas necessarily. Hmm? Um, but, um, I mean, we do it to some extent too. I mean, too, you know, we have our. I was waiting for the Tai Chi class. Chanting is, uh, you know, pranayama. And, anyway. So that's the idea. What's what's realized in there, and more will be realized in bhakti. Hmm. It's, um, you know, in one sense, um, what you can realize with your hands and with your head are really dependent upon your heart beating. Hmm. So really, the efficacy of the other passive yoga is really also dependent upon some 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 bhakti being factored in. That's another. Point. Um, so, with that, we stop. Shisi Gorada Madhava Kijai, Gorbakta Brinda Kijai, Gorbakta Brinda Kijai, Gorbakta Brinda Kijai,